hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. We have a great show for you this week. I want to lead off with some updates and keep you appraised of what's going on. Many of you are aware that uh, a few months ago, uh, Dr. Carrico and Wiseman won the Nobel Prize for the invention of modifying synthetic messenger RNA by replacing uracil, a natural uh, pyrimidine, with pseudouridine. And pseudouridine is a chemically modified version of uracil. It essentially made messenger RNA as we know it, um, that's used in the COVID-19 vaccines, uh, indestructible, meaning it cannot be broken down by ribonucleases. And this is um, thought to be, at the time, a wonderful invention. It would make the messenger RNA last a very long time. If it was replacing a missing protein, for instance, if messenger RNA was coding for insulin in a type 1 diabetic who's insulin deficient, this would be a wonderful thing to have a renewal source for the produce, production of insulin. Or if it was a patient with Fabry disease where the deficiency is alpha-galactosidase, an important housekeeping enzyme for cells, replacement for the alpha-galactosidase protein with messenger RNA, again, would be a wonderful thing with the invention of uh, what Carrico and Wiseman did to messenger RNA. They were awarded the Nobel Prize, but Carrico and Wiseman were actually intending for their invention to be done for vaccines. And now in a piece that was out in the Boston Globe this week, and it's summarized by John Leake in our Courageous Discourse Substack, Drew Wiseman says that, uh, in fact, the invention was for vaccines and COVID-19 vaccines are wonderful inventions and that everyone should be getting more and more of these every six-month injections of messenger RNA vaccines. So Carrico and Wiseman actually now make this apparent that their invention indeed was intended towards making long-acting vaccines without any regard for safety, without answering the fundamental questions. Now that messenger RNA is synthetic, it's modified, how long will it last in the body? How will the body dispose of it? What will be the cumulative toxicity of giving injections every six months and having this build up in the human body? None of these answers are provided by the Nobel Prize laureates. And so as a result, what we've actually seen is extraordinary. Um, and there's been now a Nobel Prize protest organized, and it's called the, Glo the Global Nobel Prize Protest. And on December 10th, 2023, there are candlelight vigils around the world being held. And there was a global press release by this committee on December 6th, 2023. And it reads, press release, Nobel Prize protest call for global candlelight vigils on December 10th for all those harmed or deceased from messenger RNA vaccination. And uh, it goes on to read, 
that the Nobel Prize Protest Committee, along with its representatives of doctors, nurses, and engaged individuals from right to left, including physician Sven Roman, nurse Lada Harming, and leader of the um, uh, human rights uh, 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 and democracy, Andreas Sidkis, issued an appeal on December 2nd to acknowledge and honor the memory of the estimated 17 million people who have died globally, according to a study uh, as a result of COVID-19 vaccines. In light of this, the 2023 Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine awarded to researchers behind messenger RNA va- vaccine technology is being questioned. The protest committee calls for ethical responsibility and respect for guidelines in medical research and practice, arguing that the Nobel Prize awards uh, violates these principles, candlelight light vigils around the world to honor the memory of those who died or were harmed by messenger RNA vaccines. Uh, to honor the affected, the committee calls for global candlelight vigils and memories, memorial services on December, December 10th at 5 p.m. These events are planned in several cities, including uh, Gustav uh, Adolf Square in Gothenburg, Sweden, uh, Mittengort, Stockholm, Sweden, and outside the Prime Minister's residence in Oslo, Norway. Uh, this is going to make a big splash for those who um, are on the Nobel Prize Committee and part of the whole, no- whole uh, Nobel Prize organization. The participants are encouraged to bring torches, funeral candles, flowers, and possibly a symbolic coffin to honor the deceased and injured. For those who cannot participate in person, they are encouraged to organize their own candlelight vigils at home and share this on social media with specific hashtags to spread the awareness. Um, uh, you know, I, this is really an extraordinary set of events. There have been um, Nobel Prizes throughout history that clearly have led to harm in humanity. And so this is one in a line of them. It's just that this award, it's so acutely known now. It, it, the award was given at the time where the invention was already known to be harmful. And I think that's the reason why this is so historic and poignant to bring up in the monologue uh, today. Uh, for example, uh, Alfred Nobel himself, you know, his invention was dynamite, which was thought to be initially wonderful for mining. Turns out dynamite was used uh, in wars and has accounted for countless numbers of lives lost and militarization of various factions, one against uh, another. Um, Dr. Haber of the Haber-Weiss Equation uh, he won the Nobel Prize, and it turns out that uh, his award was ultimately used for nerve gas that was used uh, during chemical warfare in Nazi Germany. And you know, ultimately, his uh, wife committed suicide over this, uh, that the invention was used to harm humanity, not help humanity. And then um, Dr. Monitz and his invention was the uh, development of the prefrontal lobotomy as a treatment for schizophrenia. And this was widely endorsed and celebrated. Uh, it was done for uh, several decades and uh, led to basically creating neurologic vegetables of people with schizophrenia. And the medical community, you know, after waking up in a few decades in horror, banned the use of uh, prefrontal lobotomy. A lot of that effort was led by uh, America Out platform contributor Peter Bregan, who brought sanity back to clinical psychiatry. Now, these are all examples of Nobel Prizes that have gone bad. 
And so Carrico and Wiseman, no doubt about it, with the um, Nobel Prize in Medicine for pseudo-urination of messenger RNA will go down as one of the most deadly and uh, horrible developments for the world. And it's being recognized in real time with these protests outside of the key spots in in Sweden and Norway. So I wanted to bring that to your attention. We have a wonderful show today. We're going to spend a lot of time on base spike detoxification. Uh, that is the process that's been proposed uh, by myself, my practice partner, uh, Brian Proctor, and our associates. And it's dealing with the issue that both with COVID-19 and with the uh, COVID-19... <coughs> Excuse me, I'm working through uh, some asthma. And the COVID-19 vaccines, that um, there is an accumulation of spike protein in the human body that... Um, uh, Bruce Patterson at Incel DX, who's been on my show, has shown in two publications now that the S1 segment of the spike protein does accumulate in the body, in tissues. It's in CD16 monocytes in people after severe COVID, at least for a year and a half. And that's as long as he's looked. It may be in there potentially forever. It looks like the human body cannot break down the S1 or the outer segment of the spike protein. To make matters worse, <coughs> the... COVID-19 vaccines install the full-length spike protein, the S1 and the S2 segment, and both Pfizer and Moderna insert two proline uh, residues to hold it open in the pre-confusion confirmation so it cannot undergo any receptor-mediated catabolism by the ACE2 receptor. And Brogna and colleagues have shown that the, sp the full-length spike protein after vaccination is widely circulatory in blood for at least six months after a messenger RNA in injection, and it may be longer. Now, that's not in everyone, but Brogna's paper showed at least half of those who took the vaccine had circulating spike protein. Swank and colleagues shows that those who have symptoms of long COVID or COVID-19 vaccine have circulating spike protein in the bloodstream. So that is our basis for determining that the spike protein is largely causing the symptoms of long COVID and of vaccine injury syndromes. The spike protein is known to damage the heart, the brain, the bone marrow, the immunologic system. It's found within blood clots. So the spike protein is at the scene of the crime. And what we've seen is that so far all the treatments for long COVID, and keep in mind the Biden administration and HHS have spent over a billion dollars coming up with new treatments and protocols for long COVID, and they've turned up zero new medicines, zero protocols. The World Council for Health has published a manuscript where it lists probably two dozen different things to try. Uh, the Frontline uh, Critical Care Alliance has done the same, but a list of various things to try is much different than a protocol. What I've done now uh, as uh, a senior author and with Nick Hulsher from the University of Michigan as the first author, is we have published the uh, first peer-reviewed, PubMed-listed, uh, suggested approach for base spike protein detoxification. It's called McCullough Protocol Base Spike Protein Detoxification. It has uh, trademark and copyright um, pending on this uh, only because it needs to be located to 
somebody's name to be responsible for it, and I've taken the responsibility to do so. The paper was published in the journal Curious on November 21st, 2023. You can find it in PubMed. The title of the paper is Clinical Approach to Post-Acute Sequelae After COVID-19 Infection and Vaccination. And it points out that both the S1 and the uh, full-length S1 and S2 um, uh, components of the spike protein are in the human body in those who've had COVID and have taken the vaccines. And sadly, in the United States, about 75% of people have taken a vaccine and they've had COVID. We know in countries like Australia, New Zealand, England, it's probably more like 95% of people have taken a vaccine and they've had COVID. So what we've observed is that people are loaded with spike protein. And so in the paper, we propose that a method of aiding the body in elimination of spike protein is to apply natokinase, which is derived from the fermentation of soy by a bacteria called Bacillus subtilis natto. It's been widely used for over a thousand years by the Japanese as a health supplement. It's been in a capsule for several decades and used specifically as a cardiovascular supplement. And in our figure in our paper, we point out that it's proteolytic, that it means it helps break down proteins. It clearly breaks down the spike protein in cell lysate and intake cell models. It does not uh, disturb cells at all that we can tell from the preclinical data. And it's anti-atherosclerotic. It lowers LDL cholesterol, lowers blood sugar and blood pressure uh, somewhat. Some studies indicate that it reduces carotid intimal medial thickness. And study after study shows that it's safe in human beings. It does prolong uh, the uh, D-dimer, uh, elevate the D-dimer test because it is a thrombolytic and it is a mild blood thinner. But natokinase was uh, added to our protocol at a dose of 2,000 units twice daily. Subsequently, we've added bromelain, 500 milligrams once a day. And as the paper points out, it's also proteolytic. It breaks down the spike protein uh, and helps degrade it. Uh, it's anti-inflammatory and it's anticoagulant. It prolongs the prothrombin time. Bromelain in 2022 uh, became an FDA-approved drug as a concentrated ointment for deep tissue burns. It helps break down the thick proteinaceous eschar within a wound, and it's antimicrobial. So like natokinase, it has medicinal properties. It is available as an oral supplement. It's derived from the stems of pineapples. It's a family of natural enzymes. And the third component to McCullough protocol-based spike protein detoxification is curcumin, which is derived from turmeric. And curcumin at 500 milligrams twice a day with aided absorption from black pepper abstract, which is piperine uh, at 10 milligrams, has been shown to be antiviral against SARS-CoV-2 and other viruses. It's anti-inflammatory and antifibrotic, and it re reduces levels of inflammatory factors in patients who have long COVID syndrome or have taken a vaccine in clinical trials. So we have reasonable preclinical and clinical data now to suggest this as an approach. We don't have large prospective randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trials, so we cannot make therapeutic claims, but we have to do something for patients in need today. Now, our paper points out that we have enough additional supportive evidence that if the blood uh, antinuclear antibody test, ANI test, is positive, we add a hydroxychloroquine, 200 milligrams twice a day, and if there's pleuridinia or chest discomfort, we add colchicine, 0.6 milligrams a day. I recently added to my approach, if patients have brain fog or some degree of neurocognitive 
dysfunction, we add a low-dose nicotine patch at 7.5 or 15 milligrams a day. Uh, this is the best, in my view, as a reasonable approach to the ever-expanding population of people with long COVID and post-vaccine injury syndromes, and the two are together. Both COVID and the vaccine certainly cause problems for the human body. People are sick, they recognize it, and I recognize it clinically, and I, I honestly think we need to take action now uh, ahead of large prospective randomized trials. We simply don't have them uh, in order to rely upon to make broad therapeutic claims. Uh, and many of you know I'm the chief scientific officer of the wellness company. The wellness company offers all three of these products. It's spike protein uh, natokinase product as the centerpiece with bromelain and curcumin. Uh, many believe is the best in class. I do because it's natokinase, 2,000 units twice a day, plus five um, minor ingredients, but they include important things like dandelion extract, black sativa extract, um, iris sea moss. All of those have uh, supportive evidence to help people in long COVID and vaccine injury syndromes. And I wrote a substack actually on the minor ingredients. You can refer to that and courageous discourse. Now we have a wonderful show for you this week. I'm going to spend time with um, uh, a wonderful, very creative um, ex-paramedic, holistic nutritionist, medical lecturer who specializes in digestive diseases, uh, and, and that is um, Josh Deck, D-E-C-H. Josh runs the Get Gut Health Solution. His website is guthealthsolution.ca. He's uh, really a wonderful, uh, insightful uh, young man who's uh, seen successes with dietary changes with in Crohn's disease and various forms of colitis, other digestive diseases. Uh, he's a big proponent on understanding the microbiome, changing diet, which changes the microbiome, which then changes gastrointestinal disease, which therefore has an impact on systemic inflammatory disease. So what uh, Josh really points out is that there is a tractable line of thinking to this approach that all things really do center in on the microbiome. So we discussed the range of COVID-19, uh, long COVID and vaccine injury syndromes and reiterate uh, base spike protein detoxification as we recently published it. And then the final interview I have for you uh, was a wonderful um, opportunity I had to spend with the REACT group. And REACT stands for Research and Education for Autistic Children's Treatment. And uh, in REACT, my, um, my host was um, uh, uh, Andrea Dimidic. And a Andrea and I went over uh, the main issues that relate autism to this rise in transgender medicine. And you'll hear me make the points of why I think transgender medicine in the youth is harmful, and I support statewide bans on transgender medicine. I give you the rationale for that in the scientific citations. Um, I'll also say parenthetically that you know, in medicine, we're broadly diverse and inclusive. I take care of uh, LGBT, including transgender patients in my practice, and I can tell you consenting adults with proper psychiatric care can make their own decisions on sexual preference and whether or not to pursue the fantasy of living uh, in the appearance of the opposite gender, provided it's done with full informed consent and at their own cost. I don't think anybody would have a problem 
with adults doing that. It's just in the youth, I make, I believe, a compelling case that indeed it's harmful to do so. So that's our show for this week. Let's get on to the interviews. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. Wow, I just took my first supplement of healthy cell heart and vascular health, a new offering. It comes in a bright new red package. You can't miss it. Red for heart health. Uh, This is, again, the healthy cell microgel technology. Uh, The serving size is one gel pack, which is uh, 0.85 ounces or 25 mLs. And what it contains is amazing. Uh, It has... um, 32 milligrams of niacin in the form of niacinamide, which is 200% of the um, daily requirement, vitamin uh, B6, folate, which is methylated folate, vitamin B12, magnesium, 100 milligrams of magnesium citrate. I commonly recommend that for heart patients. Uh, uh, 100 milligrams of potassium citrate, which is a small amount of additional dietary uh, potassium. One gram of soluble fiber, which is amazing to pick up a gram of fiber just in the supplement. Uh, Beetroot powder, uh, um, ahi flower seed oil, aronia berry juice concentrate, coenzyme Q10. We recommend that for so many patients on statins. Vitamin K2, grape seed extract, and reversitrol, which is uh, the active ingredient that's in red wines that's so beneficial for heart disease it's all in the healthy cell supplement i'm so excited i will be recommending this to my cardiovascular patients it's quick to take it's readily absorbed you can take this one at any time through the day but probably for my patients i'll be recommending it in the morning so go to healthycell.com and uh, take a look at it if you go to america out loud talk radio the uh, website platform for our show Click on the banner bar for Healthy Cell and that'll lock you right into getting a discount on your very first purchase of Healthy Cell Heart and Vascular Health Supplement. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high stress on the go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health, cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Joining us today to talk about COVID and vaccine-induced autoimmunity is one of the most famous doctors in the world and the most published doctor in his field in history. 
Now, during the 2020 pandemic, his stance on COVID cost him everything from professorships to editorial positions, and the American Board of Internal Medicine has even challenged him and tried to strip him of his medical license because of his stance on COVID. And he's joining us today to talk about COVID and vaccine-induced autoimmune issues. Dr. McCullough, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Now, I know that obviously this introduction doesn't do you justice. So for those of you who may not know who you are, can you tell us who you are and give us your credentials? I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I hold degrees from Baylor University, University of Texas Southwestern, where I finished as a top graduate, uh, the University of Michigan School of Public Health and Southern Methodist University. And, uh, you know, I've had advanced training in internal medicine at University of Washington in Seattle and cardiology at now the Oakland University William Beaumont School of Medicine. And I've held various leadership positions in academic medicine throughout the course of my career. I've been chief of cardiology at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, chief scientific uh, and academic officer of uh, the St. John Providence Health System, which is uh, the largest health ministry in Ascension Health. So I, I was a known entity in academic medicine for a long time. And when COVID-19 hit, I directed my scholarship and my clinical efforts to help as many people as I could, because I recognized that patients needed early treatment in order to reduce hospitalization and death. And that shouldn't be controversial or objectionable to anyone. Yeah, not in the least. And I think for anybody who's watching this by now, if they don't know who you are, they got a pretty good handle. And if you guys want to learn more about Dr. McCullough and his stance on COVID and all the, we'll say the critical talk about big pharma that you hear me talk about as well, and the medical system, and it's so convoluted and twisted. And so there's lots of episodes on that. Dr. McCullough, I'd love to just really dive into COVID and the vaccinations and spike and all these things. And why are they affecting people's immune systems so much? And that's something I see in my field. I specialize in IBD, particularly ulcerative colitis. And I see a lot of vaccine-induced ulcerative colitis. What's going on? What we know is that the SARS-CoV-2 virus now, it's well-recognized. It was engineered in a biosecurity lab in Wuhan, China, to be more infectious and more lethal. Uh, the plans came from University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Papers were published in Nature Communications, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, outlined uh, and defining the chimeric virus that was created to actually insert itself via ACE2 receptors into, uh, into human respiratory epithelial cells. And uh, there, uh, the situation, it, it becomes um, serious. So when people get a SARS-CoV-2 infection, if it's not immediately handled in the nasopharynx, and we rely upon virucidal nasal washes and gargles, and, uh, and then, of course, multi-drug treatment, which I've published extensively on, including the first uh, protocols, now termed the McCullough Protocol. If we don't get early treatment, especially the index case, then there's invasive disease. And because... Uh, people are continuing to swallow, uh, you know, repetitively when, you know, they're sick and otherwise the virus gets into the GI tract. Multiple studies show that. So that's uh, of concern. Mm -hmm. But as we get through the index infection, hopefully with early multidrug treatment, virucidal nasal sprays and gargles, uh, we now know with Omicron, you can get a second infection. And so we can get another exposure to the spike protein. The spike protein stays in the body for months to years after the infection is shown by Dr. Bruce Patterson. Now enter the vaccines. The vaccines in 94% of people who took a vaccine in the United States took a genetic messenger RNA vaccine. What we know there is they install the genetic code 
for, again, the spike protein. But in this case, it's not just the outer segment, the S1 part of the spike protein, it's the full length S1, S2 spike protein. Again, Dr. Patterson, Incel DX and preprint server system has shown the full length spike stuck in vaccinated people for nine months. And that's as long as he's looked, it could be much longer. That's what's making people sick is both the infection, what's called post-COVID or post-acute sequelae syndrome, and now the vaccines. And sadly, because the vaccines don't work and people get COVID anyway, now they've had multiple spike exposure. They're even more sick. So it's the spike exposure itself that's getting into things like the GI tract and getting around that's infecting the tissues locally. Is that right? Yeah, the spike protein uh, in, in the natural infection, it does get into tissues. In an autopsy paper published by Chertow and colleagues from the NIH, they found the spike protein, actually the intact virus in all the tissues in the body months after the infection in those who died. Now, obviously, they had severe infections. Uh, but elsewhere, GI studies have found it, uh, the virus in the GI tract, let's say, for five months later on after the infection. With the vaccine, it's even worse. The genetic code is actually taken up into cells. The cells produce the spike protein in the Golgi apparatus. So the spike protein is inside the cell, and that's an abnormal protein inside the cell. Then the spike protein is expressed on the cell surface. Immediately, the body recognizes this as being foreign. Uh, there's a whole family of proteins on the cell surface called the major histocompatibility complex, MHC. And so the body is constantly trying to recognize what's self and what's not self. So when a, a uh, cell expresses the spike protein, it's immediately identified as being a foreign invader and it's attacked. And so that is the genesis of autoimmunity. It occurs at some level in every single person who took a vaccine. And so really what we're seeing is the difference between those who are severely affected, like developing IBD or inflammatory bowel disease, are those who are maybe either more susceptible, had a higher, would it be fair to say a higher viral load or a spike load, or already had some kind of dysbiosis, leaky gut, or some sort of inflammation based in those tissues, and that's why it's so severe for them? Well, they already have inflammation for sure. So in my practice, I have patients who have um, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, uh, you know, there's various forms. Those are the main ones. The, 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 the colon and sometimes the distal small bowel are inflamed. And so when systemic inflammation is flared up with a vaccine, it's a disaster. I've had patients have flares of ulcerative colitis who have taken a vaccine. I've had patients clearly with um, a Crohn's disease get markedly worse. Uh, uh, recently, a young man, the entire colon was inflamed. It was awful. He actually stopped being responsive to Humira, which is a standard anti-tumor necrosis factor. Uh, a monoclonal antibody needed IV therapy, got really dehydrated. And uh, so we know the vaccine uh, it can cause tremendous problems. Uh, because the vaccines were never tested in people with autoimmune conditions, uh, but we know that it forces the body to produce the spike protein and express it on cell surfaces, we could expect even before these were rolled out that these mechanism of vaccination would make autoimmune diseases worse and they certainly do hmm. that's something you really saw coming you know i always joke is obviously i'm a big fan of yours you and i had dr paul merrick on here last uh, two weeks ago we were talking about a lot of the similar stuff he's explored fasting for spike proteins and 
There's so much that I now joke with my family. I'm like, well, I wish somebody would have told us this sooner, you know, before all this rolled out. And you have since day one. And you're one of the guys leading the charge, which is obviously where you are now. So if I can deviate just for one quick out of curiosity, what is going on right now with the American Medical Board and your licensing? Is that held up in litigation? What are they doing right now with all of that? My state medical licenses have always been fine, not challenged. I have a perfect clinical track record. Uh, I've you know passed four internal medicine board exams over multiple decades, three in cardiovascular disease, and my, my clinical care is flawless. Uh, but I am being challenged by the American Board of Internal Medicine and and this is what's happened. They they have um, they hold the accreditation over my internal medicine and cardiology board certifications, which have been granted, by the way, and have been I, I, I fully participate in the maintenance of certification. In fact, the boards rely on my research for some of the material on the board exams. So, so I, you know, I've contributed greatly to internal medicine. And uh, what they did is they came up with a COVID misinformation policy in 2021. Uh, without any discussion or vote ahead of time, we didn't. We didn't. You know, none of us approved them doing this. Uh, they did it, and then they went back in time to my March of 2021 Texas Senate testimony when I first started to raise concerns about the vaccines. And they uh, uh, alleged that I um, spoke misinformation to the uh, Texas uh, Health and Human Services Committee. And uh, then they held an internal meeting that I couldn't attend uh, that was attended by doctors who have no experience with COVID. They've never testified for the Senate. They have no publications in COVID. You know, I have over six dozen peer-reviewed publications in COVID-19. So doctors who, who were not my peers, and then they convicted me as, of misinformation. Uh, so they sent me a letter about six months later saying that I've been uh, – you know, ascertained to have spoken misinformation, and, and now I'm in an appeal process, which is now taking, uh, it, will, it will end up taking more than a year. So this has been a huge administrative uh, grind on me, and I'm held up as probably the most scientifically accomplished and clinically accomplished doctor that is, uh, you know, potentially going to be stripped of my medicine residency and my fellowship for political reasons, you know, not on clinical grounds. Uh, these accreditation bodies, as well as the state medical boards, their only concern is clinical care. Their only concern is, uh, is a doctor competent? And they assess aptitude in all these areas. That, that's their only concern. Their concern should not be, uh, you know, what I said in the Texas Senate or U.S. Senate or what I've said in a court of law or what I say in other public venues. I've been very responsible. I've been very careful with the data. I cite the data been a frequent contributor on Fox News and Newsmax and One American News. I've been on ABC News. I published uh, a whole series of op-eds in The Hill, Washington-based journal in the first year of the pandemic. I have my podcast, America Out Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report. I've actually given more media and generated more media content and analyses than any physician in the world right now. I'm number one. And uh, if they take issue with one statement out of you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of statements, uh, that's something that we simply can discuss. And Senator Ron Johnson, who's been a great advocate, uh, communicated to Richard Barron, the head of the American Board of Internal Medicine, and said, listen, before this goes any further, let's just meet in Washington. We, we volunteer to date. Let's go over all the data on COVID-19 treatment, on vaccine safety and efficacy. 
and the American Board of Internal Medicine declined. They actually don't want to talk about it. They want to pursue a COVID misinformation professional reprisal policy. That's ex post facto. They went back in time to when the policy didn't exist and are trying to convict me on testimony under oath. So when one is called to a state or U.S. Senate and and testifies with prepared statements and answers questions, uh, we raise our hands and we do it to the best of our ability. And that's what I was doing. Uh, I think this is a chilling development. Anybody looking at this should should worry that any citizen, any parent, uh, any lawyer, engineer, nurse, doctor, as a public citizen who testifies in a government office could be subject to professional reprisal of a policy that has no legal standing. It has no internal organizational standing. It's a policy that we don't even know why it exists to begin with. And yet uh, this wow. could this could change the, the, the calculus of my entire career. Well, I think it's safe to say that there's going to be lots of lots of work out there for you, no matter which way this goes. And I hope you continue doing what you're doing. One of the things that concerns me is that obviously with the medical system going the way it's going, and it really feels no different than North Korea, China, a very similar regime and censorship that these people who have already got the vaccines, the people who have already now have these vaccination-induced or COVID-induced autoimmune conditions and diseases, there's going to be no help for them coming from the CDC, coming from the American medical boards. There's going to be no help. So if they already have these conditions now, onset by vaccines, they have autoimmunity or digestive issues, diseases that have been caused by them, what steps can they take? Is it just clearing the spike? Is it doing something else? What does that look like? We're dealing with what we call spike protein disease uh, all the time. Four major areas, cardiovascular, myocarditis uh, being the lead, uh, neurologic, uh, that could be stroke, intracranial hemorrhage, Guillain-Barre syndrome, small fiber neuropathy, uh, coagulation, uh, blood clots, deep venous thrombosis, pulmonary embolism, and then immunologic. Uh, and the classic form fru syndromes are uh, vaccine-induced thrombocytopenic purpurea and multisystem inflammatory disorder. But as you point out, autoimmunity, there are papers published, people can turn ANA positive uh, and develop uh, lupus-like uh, syndromes. Uh, they clearly can turn ANCA positive. This is very important, uh, anti-neutrophil cytoplasmic antibody, and develop uh, various syndromes that involve cutaneous rashes and renal failure, flaring of inflammatory bowel disease that we've covered, flaring of other pre-existing autoimmune conditions, including systemic lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, hemolytic anemias, uh, also well-described, uh, that are autoimmune. So what we know there is the spike protein is a problem. The body can't get rid of it. The big lead is there are now some enzymes, naturally occurring enzymes that can be given as supplements, which we believe could provide support. There are no prospective double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trials completed, and there's none planned right now. I just checked clinicaltrials.gov. So we're a long way from being able to make therapeutic claims. But let me say, the, uh, one of the lead compounds is natokinase. Natokinase is uh, a, a breakdown product of fermentation of soybeans by uh, Bacillus subtilis natto, and uh, it is an endogenous thrombolytic enzyme. It's a form of a blood thinner, and a paper by Tanakawa and colleagues showed that it basically dissolves the spike protein where human enzymes can't do that. Uh, now, another naturally occurring enzyme called bromelain, which is uh, derived from the stems of, of pineapple, 
seems to have a, a effect, probably an additional effect. Proteolytic cleavage has different uh, spots. And then there are some substances that look like they impair the spike protein damage uh, in the body, and that would include curcumin, which is a derivative of turmeric, and then N-acetylcysteine, which is a time-honored uh, antioxidant. Uh, you know, I can tell you that I've tried all the medications. I've tried uh, corticosteroids, and um, you know, I've tried uh, various forms of anti-inflammatories. Uh, you know, it, 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 traditional antivirals that we've already used: hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, prolonged Paxlovid. I've, I've tried everything, and what I'm finding is the natural products seem to clinically help people get better, unless there's a defined syndrome. But if I have a typical person who just has, uh, you know, feels bad, fatigue, hair loss, weight loss, um, gastrointestinal symptoms, uh, skin and hair changes, uh, brain fog, headache, that would be a typical patient uh, where there's not a defined syndrome. Uh, my go-to regimen would be natokinase, 100 milligrams twice a day, that would be the equivalent of 2,000 fibrinolytic units twice a day. Bromelain, 500 milligrams a day. Curcumin, preferably the nano curcumin, 500 milligrams twice a day. And then uh, N-acetylcysteine, uh, preferably the augmented N-acetylcysteine, 1,000 milligrams twice a day. I'd go with that four-part combination uh, plus aspirin. Uh, either 81 or 325 milligrams a day, depending on body size and bleeding risks. Uh, and, and then that would be continued for at least three months, sometimes six, nine, or 12 months. Uh, my experience is, and I've, you know, I've had the family members and others, start to get better after about two months. It's not instantaneous, but they start to get better. Now, if there are defined chest syndromes, so pleuridinia or chest wall discomfort, uh, uh, for instance, pleuritis, pericarditis, I would use colchicine, prescription drugs, 0.6 milligrams a day, maybe a prolonged course of prednisone, uh, a corticosteroid. If the patient was ANA positive, so the blood test for autoimmunity was positive, and they had joint aches, I would use hydroxychloroquine in that application, 200 milligrams twice a day. Uh, if the patient was ANCA positive, anti-neutrophil cytoplasmic antibody positive, then I'd probably refer that patient to a uh, yeah, rheumatologist. They may need advanced therapy, including uh, cytoxan, uh, higher dose prednisone, uh, IG, uh, IVIG. Sometimes they need plasma exchange, rituximab. We're talking about some uh, intensive uh, treatment. Uh, so, you know, the syndromes really do matter. So my first job is to rule out, you know, these significant internal medicine syndromes. And then if I'm left with the common, what we call post-acute sequelae syndrome, PAS, P-A-S-C, that's the new abbreviation, um, I go to that four-part natural combination. The great thing about the natural substances are available online. People can, can access them easily. Uh, they don't need prescriptions for them and, and get a head start on it. So uh, people have to understand that these, these supplements actually are medications, the most serious one being natokinase. So there are some caveats, some safety caveats. First thing is if there's a soy allergy, almost certainly they're going to have an allergy to natokinase, and I've seen that in my practice. Uh, the second thing is natokinase is a blood thinner, and so we have to look for bleeding, mucosal bleeding from the nose or mouth. Uh, if there's already blood thinners and aspirin on board, we need special precautions. We still can use it, but we have special precautions. Uh, but I do find this interesting to summarize that such an unnatural virus, SARS-CoV-2, which was engineered 
by U.S. research in a Chinese biosecurity lab. And then the vaccines, which are very unnatural. That's synthetic messenger RNA coding for this engineered Chinese protein. Such an unnatural thing to have in a human body that the solutions, by and large, are natural. This is very interesting. So, you know, aspirin, which is key in acute treatment and in follow-up, aspirin is derived from the bark of birch trees. Um, hydroxychloroquine, which we use occasionally, I've reviewed that, is derived from the chichona tree. Ivermectin derived from the soil in Japan. Uh, look at natokinase, uh, derived to Japanese, have discovered it derived from the fermentation of soy. Curcumin, uh, you know, derived from uh, a, a, a tuber. And then, uh, and then we have uh, bromelain derived from the stem of pineapples and, and acetylcysteine, a natural substance. I think it's so interesting that it's natural that's helping people bring us out of this pandemic now of vaccine injury. So I'm greatly hopeful now that we have an approach, whereas uh, several months ago, I was worried that there were so many sick people. We didn't, we didn't really have an approach. We do now. Well, I know we only have a couple of minutes and I want to make sure we can let you go in time. You got to pop on television as well. Um, so where can people find out more research about what it is you're doing? Obviously, you've been banned from social media. You're kind of a hard guy to get a hold of. And so it's through the work that I've been doing with Dr. Salibi, how we got in touch. But if people want to learn more about you and what you're doing for COVID research in the work, how can they find that? Well, some of the great sources is go to my Substack, Courageous Discourse Substack, enroll as a pain or founder member. Uh, I have many, many uh, followers there. I update every day uh, new papers in the literature with a graphical abstract where you can see the evidence. You can see I cite the evidence here. Nothing is uh, conjecture or speculation. Everything is well-grounded in the scientific literature. Uh, listen to my podcast, America Out Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report, uh, every Saturday and Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern. And then it's on the Apple iHeart uh, Podcast Network starting on Tuesday. Uh, I have a book out that really tells the first year of the pandemic about early treatment, how I got involved with the White House and the U.S. Senate. That's uh, Courage to Face COVID.com. Uh, Courage to Face COVID-19 is the book. And, uh, and I'm starting a new TV show in Dallas called uh, The Second Opinion with uh, true crime author John Leake. We've shot about seven shows right now. That's going to launch. It'll be on almost all the major networks uh, as well as Internet platforms on AFN Network, so look for that. Uh, some of the great uh, sources of um, uh, credentialed and approved uh, information is with the Association of American Physician and Surgeons, aapsonline.org. You'll see the home treatment guide. You'll see the various uh, uh, position statements, briefs there on COVID-19, post-COVID syndrome. And then lastly, for nutraceuticals and supplements, a great place to go is the wellness company, twc.health.com. I am the chief scientific officer of that company. So part-time, I advise them on, uh, on directions and they have some of the best in class supplements, including the natokinase supplements called Spike Support. And that one's blended with dandelion. It is. Irish sea moss, dandelion, uh, selenium, some other key ingredients. So, uh, you know, this, the supplements that can supercharge a single ingredient are particularly attractive. Amazing. I heard you talking about that on Ask Dr. Drew, actually. And that's where I picked that up and did some digging in. So I know you got to fly here, Dr. McCullough. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet. I told Dr. Merrick, I said, some people want to meet actors like Brad Pitt and Tom Hanks. You and Dr. Dr. Merrick were on my list. So if I died tomorrow, I'd be happy. So thank you so much for coming in and being here. Thank you so much. 
are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Spike proteins help viruses enter into your cells, disrupting your health and your well-being. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body of spike proteins, which allows your body to repair from within supporting your immune and respiratory systems, and regulating your inflammatory response. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. Now that we have some background on the factors contributing to the development of gender dysphoria, we can delve into the transgender medicine. Dr. Peter McCullough is a practicing internist, cardiologist, and epidemiologist 
in Dallas, Texas. He will present on the safety outcomes of transgender medicine. Feel free to begin. Well, thanks for having me. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist in Dallas, Texas. And throughout my career, I've taken care of and, and cared for gender diverse populations, including transgender adults. Um, these are uh, my observations and analysis on the, the current state. Uh, we're told that potentially 20% of high school seniors uh, could undergo a gender journey. That is uh, a boy attempting to uh, become a girl or a girl becoming a boy. And, uh, and what I know about this is that the hormones utilized to do this prior to puberty, largely a medicine called Lupron, uh, and then after puberty, androgens or estrogens, in a paper by Santos and colleagues, makes the kids sick in the majority of the time. Uh, and they get headaches, uh, abdominal pain, acne, sleep disturbance, weight gain, because it's very unnatural to administer uh, gonadotropin uh, releasing hormone agonists and, and androgens and estrogens to, to a normal person. Uh, and so, so that's greatly concerning. After about a month, these hormones start to cause permanent changes in the, uh, in the voice uh, and so many other aspects of the human body. Uh, the surgical results are very, very disturbing. Mastectomy in normal girls includes complete removal of all the fat tissue down to the pectoralis muscle. It almost always results in contractures because the girls are still growing. Uh, and then the, the surgeries for the female genitalia, uh, something called phalloplasty, that is creation of a false penis from a large amount of flesh from the forearm or the, of the thigh, results in disfigurement of the extremity. And then a, a, an appendage that isn't sexually uh, functional uh, urine has difficulty draining, infection rates are high. Procedures to enlarge the clitoris called metoidioplasty uh, also result in a non-functional uh, sexual organ difficulty in urinary drainage. Infection rates and revisions are high. Some studies suggest uh, the revision rates on these surgeries are 30 to 50%, um, and so the outcomes there are poor. But it's greatly concerning about what's happening on clinical outcomes. So the indication for all of this is gender dysphoria. We'll hear about this from other experts. Uh, but what I can tell you is that in a paper published in Sexual Medicine, uh, the rates of psychiatric uh, visits and the burden of psychiatric disease worsens after the transgender journey, the clinical care, as opposed to improves. Uh, we have data uh, from the UK published in JAMA uh, demonstrating that the transgender uh, journey, again, transgender medicine, results in higher rates of homicide, suicide, and death from other causes. Uh, what we've heard from prior speakers is that we, this is all in the context of, a, of an epidemic of autism. Uh, and now multiple papers suggest that young people coming forward for transgender change are very likely to have autism or autistic traits. And it makes sense that a psychologically normal child uh, is going to be very unlikely to try to, you know, try to navigate this or even be convinced to do it, it, it with as much doctrine, indoctrination uh, that exists in the schools. A, a child from a normal family with proper gender affirmation during childhood, very unlikely to do this. However, an autistic child uh, many times feels ostracized, uh, is suggestible, uh, and then could be induced to go down this uh, gender journey. So to summarize, transgender medicine is linked to the uh, epidemic rise in autism. 
uh, in that we have uh, clear and compelling data that uh, transgender medicine uh, results in making the children sick, uh, uh, increases the burden of psychiatric disease, and raises the risk of death from homicide, suicide, and other causes. I've stated publicly that no ethical doctor, nurse, or technician would ever participate in uh, a transgender medicine program uh, with these outcomes for the youth. And uh, many courts uh, agree now. Uh, transgender medicine has been banned in Texas for uh, about 60 days now. We're talking about transgender medicine for the youth. I think an adult who wants to live out a fantasy as a, as an opposite uh, a member of an opposite sex is perfectly fine. There's always been a diversity of sexual preference that's existed uh, for centuries. Uh, but it's clear now, based on this analysis, that transgender medicine is is bad medicine for uh, for our youth. And it's appropriate if uh, if doctors, nurses, and medical centers can't make the right ethical choices in terms of, of, of this form of medicine that the states will step in, in some cases, countries step in and ban transgender medicine, both the hormonal aspects and the surgical aspects of it. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. Thank you so much for having me.